Hey everybody, welcome to the Calhoun Ward Living Histories Podcast. I am your host, John Phillips, a member of the Calhoun Ward. Let's dive in and learn more about our ward members. So my name's Coney Metcalf III, Coney Benson Metcalf III. Um, my father is Coney Benson Metcalf Jr. We have the same name. Uh, my mother was Melinda Maxie um, Metcalf, I guess you, Melinda Maxie Metcalf. <laughs> um, I was born in Austin, Texas. And I have one sister. She's five years younger. She was born in Mississippi, um, Madison, Mississippi. Um, I grew up in unincorporated Rankin County, Mississippi, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Um, let's see. My So my parents divorced when I was young, and so I lived with my mom until I was a teenager. Um to my late teens and then moved to my father's and finished high school. Um, I mean, growing up, it was just, you know, me doing out, you know, we, we, we lived in a, I mean, we lived in a house that was in this, not really a neighborhood, just kind of out in the middle of the country. And, you know, we had um, a bit of land there and um, was just always doing stuff outside. We had neighbors and friends and stuff. So we were constantly just gone doing stuff, um, going through the woods, messing around in the woods, uh, playing, um, what, riding horses, that kind of stuff. Um, let's see. I moved to Georgia when I was in high school, finished high school here. Um, my sister finished high school in Texas, so when I moved here, they ended up moving, my mom and my sister ended up moving to Texas. So she finished high school there, and then after high school, I went to the Navy, and then was, after serving my time in the Navy, I went to uh, college in Atlanta at Georgia State, and then finished that, or got my degrees there, then went to graduate school at the University of Connecticut, Stores, Connecticut, and then Megan and I moved here, uh, back to Georgia, and then... Had kids, worked. Here we are. <laughs> we moved to. Uh, oh, when we, when we came back, we moved. We were living in Woodstock, and then we moved to Hickory Flat, Canton area, and now we are in Rydal, Georgia. I remember a lot of it had to, was around or revolved around being my, in my grandfather's house. Uh, my grandfather, my father's father, was a Coney Benson Metcalf Senior. <laughs> um, was he was kind of the rock of our family. And so we would always go to his, or go up, they lived in, um, sorry, in uh, Plain Dealing, Louisiana, so north of Shreveport. And so we would go visit them quite often, or they would come visit us quite often. And a lot of my earliest memories are at that house. Um, you know, that they, my, um, my father's mother had their family had built the house that they lived in back in the 1800s and you know they had renovated over years and so I just remember you know always having you know holidays there just a lot of some of my earliest memories were in that house just with my family um it was interesting because like they because I remember like you know one of the things that um I was interested in like when I was learning more about about the church and everything, um, 
was the emphasis on family history, and that was something that was big in our family. And so my, my grandfather would always teach me and was, you know, always talking to me about our family history and our genealogy and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, my grandfather's side of the family or my father's side of the family um, settled Massachusetts. They were some of the um, first colonists in the Plymouth Bay Colony in the early 1600s, and then stayed in Massachusetts and Maine up until um, my father was born. So my father was the first one in 400 years or something like that, not born in Massachusetts. Um, and I was the second. So, um, yeah, so that, I know that that was always kind of like a big thing for our family growing up. I remember he would... He had like little mementos and little things from like our family home in Maine and like the house that he grew up in that his father, you know, generations back grew up in. Um, and just little stories that he would tell me about, you know, family members and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. And then on my mom's side of the family, it was a little bit different. I mean, they, they also came from a very long history. They settled um, Virginia. They were actually... Some of the first colonists that settled Jamestown, um, again in the 1600s, and then moved from there to Georgia and eventually to Mississippi. And they would all there. There's or when I was with that side of the family, it was more about like being outside and being with family, but in more of a immediate sense and just enjoying our time together and being you know out in the woods and going hunting and riding horses and that kind of thing. I mean, when I was really young, it was, I mean, most of it's just being around, like, my grandfather. Um, that's kind of the stuff I remember the most. Um, my dad had to work a lot and was traveling a lot for his job. And so, I mean, I remember doing things here and there with him. But most of my early memories are with my mom and then my grandfather. So, like, teen, my teen years, um, <laughs> I mean... It, it, so it changed drastically, right, between, like, when I lived in Mississippi versus when I lived here outside of Atlanta, like, suburbs of Atlanta, right? It was very rural area to, like, more of a suburb city area, um, so it was a lot different. But, um, yeah, I mean, my early teen years, it was more, again, you know, just kind of doing the same stuff I did earlier, just hanging out with some close friends, and we didn't have a super big friend group just because we were out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um... You know, and so it was kind of a, a few of us that were just kind of going out and doing whatever we could do outside. We didn't really like to be inside a whole lot. Um, just kind of going through the woods. And, I mean, we would, you know, do stuff at each other's houses and stuff like that. But a lot of it was, um, you know, we would take our pellet guns and just go through the woods and shoot stuff. <laughs> like, we, we would take practice, or we would practice shooting at different targets, like, that we had set up in the woods and stuff. Um... So stuff like that, and going swimming in the ponds, fishing, um, that sort of thing. And then later on, it was more, um, I mean, I still, you know, I did stuff at school. I had friends throughout school. I didn't really, like, feel like I was connected to, like, one group or not really. Um, I swam through high school. That was something that was pretty consistent. I still swim now um, whenever I can. Um, yeah, and then, you know, when I moved to Atlanta, or moved, well, we lived in Swanee, so north of Atlanta. Um, 
when you lived there, it was more, again, like a very, it, was, it went from like a really small school in Mississippi to like a very, very large school here in Atlanta. Um, and so it was a lot different. It was kind of overwhelming, to be honest with you, for a while. Um, but eventually, like, you know, again, made friends. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't swim here. It was kind of like, like I said, it felt like it was kind of overwhelming just adjusting to everything. And I felt like I didn't really fully get adjusted until like, almost right before graduation because I moved at the end of my sophomore year and got here my junior year and so it was just really kind of crazy until I finished um finished school and then um I mean you know some of the friends that I made there though I mean you know through school through high school and then after high school I still you know talk to today they you know a lot of us or a lot of them still live over in um Gwinnett County just all over Gwinnett County area and so we still talk to them every now and then um, but yeah, I mean, it was, um, I didn't really play, I mean, other than swimming, I didn't really do any, a whole lot of other sports, um, not until I was in the Navy, um, yeah, I mean, after that, and I kind of like, with a lot of my friends, um, we graduated high school in 2002, so like, the year that September 11th happened, and so I was, you know, most of my friends, like, I was in ROTC, and a lot of us were already like thinking about the military and then like 9-11 happened and so we all like most of my friend group went into the military <laughs> um a lot of us were talking about doing it beforehand but then after that it was just like yeah this is something we all need to do and so several of us went in um to different branches some went to the army um a couple went to the marines i went to the navy a few went to the air force um but most were like army marines that sort of thing Oh, definitely my grandfather. Um, he and I were really close. Like, he, it, it was funny, because, like, I told this to Megan. It's like, my father and I got along somewhat well. We got along better the older I got, to a point. Um, but I really got along with my, my uh, paternal grandfather, so my father and father. He was, you know... He was the kind of guy that, like, he just, he had, he had experienced a lot in life, right? I mean, he had, he had gone from living in, like, a small town in Maine to, like, you know, he served in World War II. He was a pilot, um, you know, flew B-17s, and then later on, um, B-29s. He was served in Korea, um, and then from there went to work for TWA and just flew all over the world. He saw a ton of things, um... And so he just had, like, a really different understanding of life about how people are, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not 100% sure how that didn't get translated to my dad, because <laughs> my dad was very insular with stuff. Um, but, you know, and, and my dad wasn't super social with things all the time. But my granddad, he, he and I really um, connected, and I could, like, talk to him about a lot of different things. I just felt like I could talk to my father about, so... That was probably the most, um, mostly influential relationship I had within my family. Like I said, like a lot of my friends and I, we were interested in, you know, military service. And a lot of people in my family had, had served in the military. And so it was kind of something I was interested in doing to begin with. Um, I... So, you know, I, once I finished high school, I actually, you know, I, I did really well academically. Um, I always had. It was just, 
you know, I, but I wasn't, I, I knew I wasn't ready for college. I had actually like had a scholarship and I had all my courses and was accepted to Georgia State and had my courses signed up. I was ready to go, right? And, but I just had this feeling like in me, I was like, there's just something wrong. Like I could not put my hand on it. I was like, there is something wrong here because I just didn't feel at peace with it. I was like, there's, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm not ready for it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and I look back on that now and like, I could tell like that's, that was, I remember thinking, I remember the time I was in there, I was in the kitchen of my house, my, my, my parents lived, my dad was at work, it was in the morning and I had just gotten back from some sort of meeting at school that was in down in Atlanta and there was like an orientation. I was like, I'm not ready. But I don't know how to tell my parents that because they were like, you're going to college, you're going to college kind of stuff. Like that's, you know, you're doing this, you know what I mean? And I was like, I don't know how to tell them, but I am not ready to do this. Um, and so, you know, my dad and I, especially when I was like 18, 17, 18, um, 19, <laughs> we butt heads a lot. Like there was a lot of, um, I mean, there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of arguments back and forth. It was, it was a lot of butting heads. And a lot of it had to do with like, they were saying, this is what you should do. This is what we're telling you to do. And I'm like, that's just not right for me. You know what I mean? Um, and I've kind of always been that way. Like if it's not something I feel like that I'm, it's the right decision, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, fortunately Megan is the same way. And so we tend to like communicate that out pretty well, but you know, it, it can be, you know, for my family, it was kind of hard. Um, and so I knew I wasn't ready to go to school. Um, like I told you, like a lot of my friends, they were going into the military and I was like, I think this is what I want to do. You know, and my parents gave me an ultimatum one night. They're like, you're either going to go to college or you're going to go to the military, but you're not staying here at, at our home. And I was like, I can't stay with these people anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's the way to say it. But like I said, like it was just that, that dynamic of like my family and my parents, my, well, when I say my parents, I meant my father and my stepmother. It was just, it was just constantly like, you know, batting heads against each other. Um, and so, yeah, so, like, I, I got online. It was, like, one of the first times I remember using the Internet, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and I looked up, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. I had a bunch of friends going into the Army, like I said. I had some going into the Marines. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And that was, like, right as um, the run-up to the Iraq War was starting. And I was like... I, I was like, if I'm doing this, I want to have skills. I want to get skills out of this that I can go and get a job afterwards. Like, that was my number one thing. And so I started looking up jobs, and then I saw nuclear reactor operator, and I was like, okay, what's that? Um, so looked through the, you know, looked online, and eventually got to the Navy's website, and then looked at, you know, I had always been interested in the Navy, um, and so I actually kind of started looking at the Air Force, the Navy first, but kind of went with the Navy because that, that was always where my interest was. Um, and started looking up jobs there and eventually, you know, found, um, you know, the rating that I wanted, which was, uh, a nuclear, nuclear operator. Um, and so I, I went to the recruiter the next day and I said, this is what I want to do. I was like, here's all my test scores. Here's all my, you know, my high school scores, all this other stuff. And they're like, great. And because they never get anybody that'll sign up to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I signed the paperwork that day. Um, you know, I was, I basically had a few exams, a, a few tests I had to go through to make sure I qualified for it, but, 
it wasn't going to be an issue. And I brought the paperwork home that night, and I sat down at the table. My dad and my stepmom were there, and I was like, all right, I'm shipping out about six weeks. <laughs> That's <is> it. <laughs> and they just had, like, this look of, oh, crap on their face. Like, really? And I was like, yeah. And so over the next few weeks, it was like, um, my dad, like, are you sure you want to do this? What are you doing? Did you make the right decision? And, like, finally, my granddad called me once my dad told him what happened. Um, and my granddad was like, what's going on? And so we just talked for a while, and I was like, this is something I feel like I need to do. I'm not ready for school. This is, you know, I've been telling my dad, I'm telling my dad this, and he's just not getting it. And, you know, we talked through it all, and, you know, my granddad actually had a similar um similar experience with his father, right, when he was joining the Army and then the Army Air Corps for World War II and all this other stuff. So he, he got it. Um, and so he actually was the one that sat my dad down after that conversation and talked to my dad and said, look, like, this is what he needs to do for him to, like, figure out his life. Like, this is what he needs to do. He's made a good decision. He's thought this through. You're going to have to be okay with this. <laughs> and so, like, that was, again, one of those, like, instances like one of the you know you you kind of see like those turning point instances in your life right and that was another one of those where like you know my granddad was just like you know i'll, I'll give you you know I, I i totally support you and that sort of thing so that's you know kind of how that came and then um so yeah after that i you know i went to boot camp um i think i i think from the outset i was a submarine volunteer like, I'm pretty sure I volunteered, like, right off the bat to serve on submarines. Um, went to boot camp. I went through, I was an electrician, so I tested into to an electrical A school. So in the Navy, you have A schools and then other advanced training schools, and so your A school is your first school. I was an electrician through A school, and then I went through nuclear power school, and then um, nuclear prototype school. And then I got sent to the fleet and served on the USS Boise, who was an attack submarine. Um, <laughs> so it's a funny story. Before I was sent to the Boise, so I finished my prototype school. It takes months and months and months <laughs> to like learn all this stuff, right? And so like while you're there, it's basically when you're in when you're going through this school, you spend Monday through Friday in the classroom. You're being taught. You know, for the A school, you're all about learning what does the electrician do? How do you work on motors, generators? How do you fix things? What What is the electrical theory, the physics, the math, all that kind of stuff associated? And then nuclear power school is like, okay, you understand this about electrician stuff, but this is how it works within the nuclear reactor system. And then, like, what is the nuclear reactor system? What's the nuclear physics, the thermodynamics, the chemistry, all of that stuff, right? To understand how a nuclear system or nuclear a nuclear reactor works um, within the context of our, you know, systems that we're working in. And then prototype school is, um, they actually have a nuclear, a working reactor from an old submarine that they just basically cut apart and then put it in this facility so that you can try it, so you can operate it, basically. Um, and so, you know, the, the schooling is like, you know, you're, you're, going, you're in classes from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, you have mandatory, depending on your grades, you have mandatory study hours from, you know, from dinner until 10 o'clock or something like that. It's very, very stressful because, like, every week you have, like, a topic to learn every week. And then, you know, at the end of the week you have a test and you got to pass that test. If you fail the test, like, you, you get, like, two chances, right? Like, you fail one test, you're on probation. You fail another test, you're out. 
and then you don't have a say in what you're doing. You're at the needs of the fleet, right? So like anything you want to do like is out the window once you fail that that test. Um, and so, you know, it was it was you know we had uh, we had, most of the people that I went in with they ended up getting through. There were some dropouts, but I think um, you know most of the people that I ended up going through with they they ended up passing through. Um. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was it was a lot of work. It was a lot of studying, um, that sort of thing, and then it, it kind of prepares you a little bit for what you have to do. Excuse me. Um, once you get into the into the fleet, you have to qualify for all the different watch stations on a submarine. So I worked in the in the reactor compartment or the the engine room of submarine. So the reactor compartment is like where the reactor lives, and so like we were. I'm saying that we walk by that all the time, right? <laughs> to get to the engine room. Um, and so like there's different watch stations you have to qualify for to operate the ship. And so you have to be able to study and basically um, study the details of what's required to operate the ship in those different watch stations. And then walk up to a guy that's been doing it for a few decades and say, all right, quiz me. <laughs> and then, you know, he'll ask you questions on how to do it and then make him, and then he'll make you show you or make him make you show him how to how to do it, um, and then he'll sign off sign a piece of paper basically that says like yes he he showed proficiency proficiency in this 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 and this, and that's just one qualification right one sheet of paper and the book that they give you is like this <laughs> of papers that it sign off and audio it's like an inch thick, <laughs> um, and it takes years to get through that, um, and so you know while I was on my ship I was actually I you know. Again, I, I did very well academically. I did very well, you know, qualifying. I had qualified through all my stuff pretty quickly. It normally takes people like a year to qualify most of the stuff, and I did it in like nine months. Um, so when you're at sea, you know, you're... When we were at sea, we, we stood port and starboard stations, so meaning you're... We, every... Um, what's it? Port and starboard means every other watch station. So what that means in normal daytime terms, is like you're standing 12 hours out of 24 hours operating the ship. And so um, what you end up doing is you'll stand six hours of watch, so you operate your stuff you got to operate for six hours. And then you'll have six hours of maintenance that you have to do. And then you have six hours of sleep time or personal time to either, you know, wash clothes, sleep, whatever. But if that personal time falls within the daytime, 24 the daytime 12 hours those those that's when you're generally doing drills or cleaning so you don't get that and so what that means is you know you don't sleep but that you only have that that six hour block of time to sleep every other day if that makes sense so you slept and, and most of the time after you shower and eat stuff like that you get it four to five hours you get four to five hours of sleep every other day <laughs> and you did that for months on end <laughs> um and so it was pretty. It was pretty rough. Um, I found out that I could fall asleep walking, <laughs> and I could fall asleep standing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was pretty stressful. There was, um, and I, I kind of mentioned this in one of my talks. But we were on a test ship, and the test ship is a you know basically a submarine. There's different types of submarines in the fleet, right? And they all have to, you know, one of those will be a test ship where they test new equipment for the rest of the fleet. And that's what I was on. And so we were always testing things that had never been brand new, never been, you know, put in the fleet before. They broke 
all the time. <laughs> and so that was kind of stressful because like you were never knowing like, okay, well, if this breaks, what do we do? You know, that sort of thing. And so there were just, there were several instances in which things broke. And you know, I think I told them to talk once is like, you know, something broke and the propeller stops spinning. When the propeller of the submarine stops spinning, the ship sinks. <laughs> and we sunk through a thousand feet of ocean before we got the propeller moving again. <laughs> and we were sinking backwards at like a 45 degree angle. And so that was, that was quite a time. Um, another time we were operating outside the, well, just outside the shipping lanes. I mean, we were doing, I think we were actually doing sound trials around the Bermuda or something like that. And basically all the computer systems in the cone in the forward part of the ship, so sonar, fire control, radio, navigation, all of that stuff, die all at the same time because it was all new stuff. The software engineers that were, you know, that designed all the stuff that were on board with us had no idea how to fix it. And so we basically just had to dive deep <laughs> knowing that like we would not hit anything deep enough so that we wouldn't hit anything and then turn basically do circles in the ocean and then come up periscope depth so that they could chart the stars to figure out where we were <laughs> and then dive down again for another 12 hours and do circles again <laughs> um, while they worked on it to try and figure out what was wrong. They couldn't figure it out after like a week. And so then we navigated to an island, one of the Bermuda Islands, and then offloaded one of the software engineers onto you know a ship or a, a, a boat came out and met us. Um, he got off flew back to Virginia. They worked on the problem there because we had no radio. We had no way to talk to anybody. <laughs> um, flew back to Virginia, figured out what was happening, and then had to fly back to us and meet us. And then, you know, we're able to, like, diagnose and fix stuff eventually. But that was, like, a month of us just, like, doing circles. <laughs> like, it was kind of ridiculous. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, it was, it was a lot of work, a lot of... Um, not sleeping and a lot of stress, which I say kind of prepares me for kids. So. <laughs> so I was in for just over three years, um, in the Navy just over three years. Um, it, it ended rather abruptly because I started losing my hearing. <laughs> um, and so like, I, I remember going to an audiologist for like an, an, an annual checkup and like they make you do all these sorts of checkups, right? Um, the doctors were like, something's wrong here. And so I ended up going to do more audio tests and stuff. And I'd lost half the hearing in my right ear. And I lost a quarter of the hearing in my left ear. Um, and they, well, I guess at the time, I hadn't lost that much. But I was definitely losing my hearing. Like, they were, like, doing testing. And they could tell, they could tell like, something wasn't right. And so what ended up happening is I ended up getting um, a lot of sinus infections and stuff. Because if one person on the submarine gets sick everyone gets sick, right? Because <laughs> you're so close quarters, right? And so that would always, it was always messing with my ears. I was always having ear infections, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, so talking to the doctors and stuff after a while, they're like, this is only going to get worse the longer you're in. You could go deaf if you stay in long enough. We can't make this, like it was not a medical discharge. Like that's not what they were telling me. They're so like, but it's your choice right now. And if I, if it continued, it wasn't going to be a medical discharge. Um, so yeah, so I was like, well, by that point I'd already been in for three years. I didn't want to lose any more of my hearing. <laughs> and so I ended up getting out. Um, I was discharged in February, 2006. So, um, I moved back to Georgia. 
and then enrolled in school at Georgia State again, and then went to college. Well, so when I was in college, I studied, uh, well, I started in August 2006. Um, I actually started rowing crew that same semester, and that's where I met Megan. Um, we rowed crew together. Um, we didn't, we started dating, so we were rowing, so she was the women's captain, and I repaired all the boats, and so we were on the two competitive, the two most competitive boats, um, you know, for our team, and so we were always together, <laughs> and so we started dating um, late that year, in 2006, and then we were still rowing, and then a year later, we got married in 2007, and so by that point, I was a sophomore in college, um, and I was studying economics. So my major was economics, and then I ended up getting a second um, bachelor's degree. So the way George State did it, you couldn't have two majors, you couldn't dual majors, so you just ended up getting two degrees. And so I ended up taking a lot of courses in political science just for because I enjoyed it. I ended up getting enough credits in that to get a degree in political science as well. So I have a degree in economics and a degree in political science. <laughs> um, so yeah, I you know I rode through college. I I think I rode. So rowing crew for anyone I guess it doesn't know is like the long boats that you see in the Olympics with like four people or eight people, and that's what we did. That's what we rode. So I did that through through school, um, and then I think I stopped rowing in my junior year. And then, yeah, um, graduated, and then I got accepted pretty much immediately to a doctoral program at the University of Connecticut um, to work on a PhD. That was my original plan. <laughs> we were like 15 plans of life, right? Um, or at least that's what it seems like. But my original plan was, um, well, my original plan was going to be in the military. I was going to make that a career until I lost my hearing. <laughs> and then I was going to go to graduate school, and I was planning to, you know, I was accepted to, to do a PhD in international relations. And so all of my work is in um, my research for, you know, my, for graduate school was in the world of, like, um, international trade, intellectual property rights, and national finance, that kind of stuff. Um, so, like economic theory and, you know, public policy and how, like, economic policy is made domestically and international economic policy. That That's kind of where my research was. Um, you know, I, I actually, you know, my focus was along the lines of healthcare property rights and, like, how governments determine, you know, the different intellectual property rights associated with pharmaceuticals and different um, medical care cases, that, that kind of stuff. Um, about, let's see... Let's see, I had finished, what, so when we were at, at, at um, UConn, I was, that's where I was working, or where I did graduate school at, um, I finished my master's, most of my master's work, my coursework and everything, and basically my advisor at the time sat me down one day, and he's like, so what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to finish my doctorate, like that's what I came here for, right? <laughs> and he's like, I just want you to understand that like most people that are, you know, graduating right now, because... You got to kind of think of the time too, was like, right, you had a lot of people. So, this was after the financial crash, right? As a lot of people that, um, you know, went to school around that time ended up going to graduate school or law school or something like that because they couldn't get jobs doing other stuff, right? And so, I was planning to go to graduate school anyways, but I was still in that group of people. Um, and so, there were a lot of people that had gone to graduate school, and so there just weren't that many jobs for the number of people that were coming out. And that's what my advisor was saying was that basically, um, 
you know, that we would have to basically I'd be adjuncting, working for working for a college as a professor, which is what I wanted to do, who wanted to teach, um, but for no benefits, lower pay, that kind of stuff, and probably doing it for like he said five to seven years at least. And at that point, we had already adopted Maddie, and Megan was pregnant with Olive, and we were like, you know, five to seven years of no benefits, no health insurance, that's not really going to work. <laughs> and so I ended up, you know, leaving with my master's degree, and then, you know, getting a job, I guess my first job back here in Atlanta. So that's three, pretty much the college years, I guess. So. <laughs> and when I say the college, that was 10 years <laughs> of like college, so... <laughs> You know, Megan and I met when we were going through um, school together, Georgia State. We met rowing. Um, like I said, we were on the more competitive boats, and so we just ended up spending a lot of time together because, one, we were practicing together all the time, and then, two, like, she was on, like, a leadership position, and I was, too, on the team. And so not only were we practicing together, but then we were doing other stuff to, like, help the team work together, and so we were just together a lot. Um and, you know, like I was, we were some of the older people on the team. So like I, you know, having been in the military and then coming out, like I was already in my early mid twenties at that point. Um, and Megan's a few years older than me. So like we were, you know, kind of came together a lot. Like we just kind of like gravitated towards each other because, you know, it's, and you probably know, like when you're in your early twenties, your life, especially if you've done other stuff besides school, you kind of put you in a different life category than like, you know, kids who have just come out of high school and gone to college, right? <laughs> and so, you know, we kind of, me and her and a couple other people that had kind of been through things and like just kind of, you know, had done other stuff before we came to school, we were a little bit tighter of a group. Um, and so, yeah, that's how we met. And so we met and we started dating in 2006, so late 2006. So I got, it was, 2006 was a big year. <laughs> I got discharged from the Navy in February. I went to school in August. I met Megan in November is when we started dating. <laughs> and then we ended up getting, we, we started dating in November. Not I mean, we kind of on and off dated till in November 2006. We really started dating heavily in January 2007. And then by December 2007, we got married. So it was pretty quick. Um, yeah, and then, you know, I finished school in 2010. Um, we moved to Connecticut. And so both, we, and so we, we both, one of the things that kind of attracted us to each other was like, we both wanted children. We always knew we wanted to have, you know, children. And so, um, you know, for a while we kind of struggled with, infertility and just not being able to have kids we were told by a couple of doctors we wouldn't be able to have children um and so that was kind of hard for a while and then you know we ended up the the ward we were in in connecticut the bishop there um they had adopted two kids through the foster system and so that's something we didn't really thought about before but you know being there kind of opened us opened up our eyes to that right um so talking to them about that and just seeing the dynamics of their family and like it was it was a it was a great situation. Um, and so we went through, you know, we actually went through most of the classes to become foster parents through the state of Connecticut, but we ended up not doing that or not finishing it. We got all the way to the end, and I remember one day like we were sitting in this class and I just 
felt the spirit like it was just saying like this is not right for you like again one of the situations where like it wasn't right school wasn't right it was that same thing of like this is the right path like you gotta there's something else that you know, needs to happen here but this is not you know what you need to be doing I'm like okay so I told Megan, I was like, I don't think we're supposed to do this. And she was like, what do you mean? And we just talked through it. And she's like, okay. And at the time, we were ordinance workers in the Boston Temple. And so there was a lot of prayer and a lot of, you know, we were going to the temple weekly at that point because we were 45 minutes away, an hour, something like that. Um, and so we were working there all the time. And, you know, we just really felt like, you know, we were going to have kids. We just didn't know when. And we would just leave it up, you know, to... To the Lord's timetable, I guess. Um, and so eventually, so that was, let's see, that was probably the spring of 2011, I'd say. And then summer 2011, um, my bishop, I was working with my bishop at the time, um, because he, he owned a company that um, serviced um, printing machines and various other, like, those types of machines all over New England, all over the country. But he he ran the part that serviced New England, and he needed a someone with um, electrician experience <laughs> to be a tech during the summer. And I was like, I can do it. And so, like, I was, you know, he and I knew each other really well a lot, and we were always at their house. And so he knew that, you know, I could handle it. And so, um, so that's what I was doing. I was driving all over New England. And I remember one day, we, he and I, um, which was rare, like, he and I didn't really work together. We had different routes, but he needed me to help him for something that was in um, New York, New Jersey. We had a couple calls, one in New York, one in New Jersey, just outside New York City. And so we were driving down from Connecticut um, together, and then I remember him mentioning, he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, he was asking me how the foster stuff was going. I told him just kind of, you know, what, because, I mean, it had been very recently that we said, well, this didn't really seem right to us. Um, and I was giving my, you know, telling my thoughts about that. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, so-and-so, his wife had a friend who's, so his wife's friend's stepdaughter was pregnant. And she was talking about, you know, she may want to, give the child up for adoption through LDS services. He's like, listen. And she. so he said that, you know, they contacted his wife's, so his wife's friend's stepmother. Um, you know, she knew our bishop's wife and bishop really well. She, they knew that they had adopted two kids. And she's like, and she, she asked our bishop, would you be interested if she ends up doing this? And my bishop and his wife were like, no. Because they had 10 kids at that point. <laughs> and so they're like, we're done. <laughs> 10 is the lucky number, I guess. Um, and so I think they had eight kids still living at the house with them. Um, and so they're like, no, we're not, we're not having more children, but we do know a family that is interested in adoption, talking about us. Um, and so he just told me, he was like, you know, because I told him we were still interested in adoption, but we just didn't feel like the foster system was the way to go. And, and as we thought about it more, the state of Connecticut, the way that they do foster system is they try to ensure that the family, like the, um, you know, the birth family is always, or not, that the birth family, if basically if a child goes into foster care, the birth family is given a lot of chances to kind of fix whatever it is they need to fix so that their children can come back to them, which is fair. Like that's ideally what you want to happen, right? 
Um, but we just knew of several people and there were a lot of instances that even they were telling us about where like you could foster a child for years. Like you could get a call one night and says, this is a newborn. There's a six month old. We need you to take care of him. And you may foster that child for a couple of years. And at that point it would be your child. Like that's how you would feel. And then you get a call one night that says, God, bring the kid back. And then you never see the kid again. <laughs> and we were just like, that was, we knew that was just going to be too hard. Um, and just not the right situation for us to be in. And so, you know, so our bishop told us about, um, you know, their friend and her, their friend's stepdaughter, I guess it was. Um, he's like, but, you know, he, he tempered it. He was like, we, when we going through this, we experienced this a lot. Like, you know, friend of a friend. He's like, it doesn't work out often. So don't get your hopes up. You know, I'm just letting you know that this is what's happening. I'm like, okay, thanks for telling me. Great. And so we just kind of went, went about our way, right? Um, and so, you know, we, again, you know, we were continuously, like, you know, in the temple and praying, and we just really felt like we were going to have our family. We just, we had no idea how it was going to work at that point because we weren't doing the foster stuff anymore. The doctors were still saying it's not going to happen biologically. <laughs> and so we're just like, okay, what's going to happen? And so in September... Megan probably tell you a different date. I always feel like it's September. Maybe it was August. I think it was September. Um, we get a call, like, out of the blue from this girl, right, who is the stepdaughter of our friend, of our bishop's, our bishop's wife's friend. We get a call from the stepdaughter from this girl who says, you know, and I should back up for a little bit. The entire time when we were in Connecticut, my wife had been felt very impressed to do a blog about our life. Um, and so, like, she was blogging all the time, like, taking pictures of us of what we were doing and what she was doing and, like, the design stuff she was doing and our dog and, like, vacations and what, everything, everything. I mean, we have, since then, not done any of that. <laughs> before that point, we had not done hardly anything. But, like, the entire time we were in Connecticut and a little bit before that, she blogged everything she felt really like impressed that she should do that this girl calls us um and so she's like i've been reading your blog i think you guys are great you're perfect i want to place my child with you and we're like who are you <laughs> like what is this what are you talking about <laughs> and so you know long story short like she was you know the daughter um of um so like her, you know, her stepmother was our, our bishop's friend. Um, they had given us or given her our information, the blog, all that stuff. We didn't really know that she had our information, but she had been kind of reading and following up on and finding out all the stuff. She'd also gone through LDS services and had like a whole list of people that she was going through their profiles, all sort of stuff, but none of it felt right. But she found our blog and she said that felt right. And so that's how we ended up finding out about Maddie's birth mom. <laughs> and so Maddie's birth mom, um, she, so Maddie was born in November. So like we found, so we found out about it in September and to, and to adopt through LDS services, you have to go through like all of these classes. Adoption is a very long process to begin with. You have to do a home study. You have to do all this sort of stuff. Like it's very time intensive <laughs> and it's very expensive. <laughs> and so, um, but it was, it was so, 
I don't know. It, it was such a such an experience because it was like to go through LDS services, you have to you have to take this course. Like if you're going to adopt through LDS services, you have to take this course through LDS. It's like a three day course. They give it once a year, and they can give it almost anywhere in the country. Like so, they do it by region, right? And so, like the Northeast region could have been anywhere from like Maine to like Illinois. Right. <laughs> and this was in September when like I was in school, so I could just take off and leave. Right. And so we had to find out, you know, when's this next course? When are they going to do it? Because we may have missed it already. We or we may not be able to get to it. We had no idea. And the next course was a week later in Boston. <laughs> and we were like, you gotta be this is insane, right? Um, and so so we took the course, we did all the stuff, we got the home study, everything worked out, all of the timing stuff worked out. And like talking to people that were, you know, we were doing the course with and we were kind of, you know, because we got to know people there after spending a few days and we were just explaining to them like, yeah, this is what's happening. They're like, I mean, a lot of people were just like, this is amazing because like, you know, we've been waiting on this course or the people have been waiting for like a year and a half to like do all this stuff. And it was the fact that like, we, we just know that, you know, when it comes down to it, like Maddie was supposed to be our child because like there's no other way in which all of that stuff would have, would have worked out, right? For, you know, the, everything as far as like the timing of all the stuff needed and everything to come together so that we could adopt Maddie within like three months of us finding out about the situation. <laughs> um... And, and I will say, like, one of the things I kind of told you, like, kind of going back to, like, my father and relationship I have with my family, like, we were kind of on and off again all the time. You know, when I told my dad, that, like, what was happening, that we were going to try to adopt this girl, he's like, he's like, it's amazing, all this other stuff. And he, it, it really brought us closer together. And um, at the end, like, a couple weeks right before all this stuff was happening, we found out that like the cost, like there was all these, all of a sudden, like there was like all these extra lawyer fees and all this other unexpected costs that like, we knew there was going to be some, but not to this extent. And we were just, we didn't have the money, like nowhere near the money. <laughs> and I told my dad, I was like, well, I was like, I don't, I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen because, you know, we, I mean, it was like $20,000. Like, we just did not have <laughs> on top of other stuff that we needed to pay for. And my dad's like, yeah, you'll have the money. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you'll have the money. And so within like a week, he, my dad, you know, came through and he gave us a check. He bought us a brand new car. He, everything. He's like, there you go. And we were like, I mean, we were, our mind was blown, right? Because, like, you know, this is the guy that, like, I had not ever really been able to, like, connect with oftentimes. You know what I mean? Like, we had our periods on and off, right? And he was just like, I got you. And that's exactly what he did. Um, yeah. And so that was, we drove down and we got, we were there for Maddie's birth in November of 2011. Um we ended up staying down there. And so one of the things that Maddie does all the time is she'll get in my, in my lap and she'll kind of like curl up in a ball because I think one of her earliest memories <laughs> is that she remembers me cuddling with her. Like when she was, you know, three, four, however old, right. She's always cuddled with me in a ball, like in my lap. And she still does it now at 11 years old. <laughs> and one of the things like we have pictures of is that, you know, I'm sitting there, 
we're in a hotel room. We had to stay at a, at a hotel for two and a half weeks before we could get permission from the state to leave. We actually took Maddie home the day after she was born, um, or took her with us the day after she was born. So we, so not only did it all work out, but it, it oftentimes rarely works out that you get a child as soon as they're born, but we did. So like from the day that she was born, she was ours. Um, and so we got her, we brought her back to the hotel room. We stayed there for two and a half weeks. Like I was holding her, you know, in one hand and like typing out one of my last research papers <laughs> that I had to finish for that semester um, in the other hand. And like, she was just, you know, she was such a calm, sweet baby. Um, and we ended up having to, so we, what was going to be like a week and a half process from what the lawyers and everybody said turned out to be a month. <laughs> and so we, you know, we spent two and a half weeks in South Carolina where Maddie was born. Then we finally got permission to leave South Carolina from South Carolinian government. South Carolina said, you can leave. But Connecticut had not accepted the, the adoption yet. And so they didn't. So we could leave South Carolina, but we couldn't go back to Connecticut yet um, because the states have to like communicate and agree with things. Um, and Maddie was born um, right before Thanksgiving, like a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So there was the holiday and all sorts of stuff. It was just messing everything up. Um, so long story short, we ended up going from South Connecticut. Uh, I'm sorry. We ended up going from South Carolina then to Georgia for a couple of weeks. And then we finally you know, made our way back up to Connecticut. Um, yeah. And so that's how we got Maddie. And then... You know, again, the whole same thing with the kids. Like, we were like, I mean, we were just, we were very much just on cloud nine. Um, so Maddie was born at the end of 2011. And we had, you know, up until that point, like, we had actually been, we had, you know, at the end of 2011, we had found a doctor that had said, I think there's something we can do to help you biologically have a child. So around that same time period. And so we had been going through and doing all that too, right? And so like, you know, we we kind of put that on pause once we found out about Maddie and did the whole adoption process, right? Um, but once we got back up to Connecticut, and this was in 2012, um, let's see, this, yeah, so this was in 2012. The doctor was like, do you still want to do this? And we're like, well... I mean, why not? Like, we might as well keep trying just because there's a couple other things we had to do and that was going to be it, right? Um, if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. Fine. Um, and the reason why we're, we're saying that is because I, at the time, was working for the university. I was teaching courses. I was teaching undergraduate courses. And so um, the university, I was working for the state of Connecticut. And so spectacular health insurance, which covered all these sorts of things. <laughs> so we didn't have to pay for any of it. <laughs> um, I mean, we had to pay health insurance premium. You know, we didn't have to pay all the out-of-pocket expenses for it. And so, um, yeah, so we ended up going through a lot of treatments, a lot of other stuff, a couple of, a couple of different tries of different things, and Megan ended up getting pregnant um, with Olive. And so, you know, that was at the end of what? She, she told me she was pregnant for my birthday in 2011. <laughs> So Maddie wasn't even a year old and she was pregnant with Olive already. <laughs> and so that was, that was pretty crazy. So, you know, we ended up moving from Connecticut to Georgia. Um, 
I had a job lined up for us when we were coming back to Georgia, but that offer got rescinded like a week before we were going to leave. And so we ended up moving back to Georgia still because we didn't have any reason or anything to stay in Connecticut. We did have family in Georgia at the time, but I had no job. And we ended up sleeping on my mother-in-law's couch. Megan was sleeping on the couch because she was pregnant, and then she needed support. I was sleeping on the floor. Maddie was sleeping with Nana. Um, so that was fun for a few months. And then I was working for a commercial electrician's outfit, um, you know, pulling wire, building, you know, building a school, basically. That's what we were building. We were building a school because that was, you know, I, like, I had my degrees, but at the same time, it was like, you know, it was still, it was hard to find a job because I didn't know anybody, right? Like, I didn't know anything, like, anybody, like, and so I was applying for jobs, this sort of thing, that, you know, but I had to do something for work, so I was working as an electrician, um, you know, and then um, Megan's sister was like, oh, I actually know such and such, or know someone who's an HR director. This is after we had been living in her house for, like, three months. She was like, oh, yeah, I know an HR director. I'm like great timing and like <laughs> and so I ended up getting that job or getting a job there and so that's kind of how it got started in my career that I'm in now and then um fast forward a few years because you know there's um let's say all of his what nine and Benson's five so there's a four-year difference I think so fast forward a few years um again we having a third child wasn't really even on our radar because we had been told, you know, without all these extra steps and all this other medical stuff, it just wasn't going to happen. And so we weren't going through and doing any of that stuff because, again, none of that stuff was covered under um, the health insurance policies that I had whenever I was working. Um, we were doing a, some different things. Like, we were just, we were exercising more. We were, I remember, for some reason, you know, things were just different, um, as far as, like, the, you know, things were different because of, like, hormones and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, no need to go into details. <laughs> but anyway, so, like, we, you know, it was funny because, like, when we found out all of, you know, Megan was pregnant with all of that was right as the time, or right during the time I was having that conversation with my advisor who was like, you really need to think about what your career is going to be here. And then like me thinking, okay, well, this is going to be, you know, I need to figure out something else. I have to go. And then I was flying back and forth from Georgia to Connecticut to, for job interviews and all this other stuff. And so like, it was a very, you know, crazy time of life where we were trying to like, everything was just up in the air. Right. Um, and then Megan ended up getting pregnant with Benson, right? Like, so we were in the process of selling our house at the time. And this was in, um, 2015, no, 2016, mid 2016. We were selling our house. Um, the buyer's financing fell through. We had already moved out of the house because we were due to close in like a day or two and their financing fell through in like, you know, within three days of closing. And so we, weren't going to move back in because we needed to like sell it. So again, we were living with Megan's mom. <laughs> I was sleeping on the couch. <laughs> Megan was, um, you know, sleeping in a, in a bed with the girls, um, and stuff. And so it was just, again, a very hectic part of life. 
and found out she was pregnant with Benson. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, you know, then we ended up, again, it eventually worked out. We closed on the house. We bought another house and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, right after we moved in, a couple months after we moved in, she had Bubby. So, um, and then later that year after he was born, we kind of started finding out about all of his medical, well, most of his medical stuff. And then um, for the next, you know, couple of years, it was like a, trying to figure out all that that entailed, all of what his medical stuff entailed. So, long story for a long story, I guess. <laughs> I mean, so professionally, um, so I started from that job that, you know, my sister-in-law actually connected me with. And then, like I was saying, like, it, I feel like every job you know, it's not really like your, it's not, for me anyways, it hasn't been so much my work experience. It's been who I've known that have gotten me from one job to another, right? Um, and so she hooked me up with, you know, connection to this HR director who then, you know, I got a job working in marketing um, for a company called Grizzard Communications. They did... Um, we did a lot of nonprofit marketing, so marketing, fundraising for nonprofits, cancer research, animal welfare, places, that sort of thing. Um, her, so that HR director, she actually left there and went to go work for a global ad agency as like an HR director for like the Southeast region. She needed someone, so she reached out to me one day. I was like, are you interested? And I said, yep. Um, and this was, and I, I was talking to her about it, and then like the next week I ended up getting laid off <laughs> at my job. And so I was like, if you can make this work right now, that'd be great. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. So it worked out. I worked there for a few years, um, working in a, in a very large advertising agency. And so working in advertising agencies, really working with clients, figuring out what marketing, um, strategies, what their, what their marketing goals are, what the revenue goals are for different lines of business. And then coming up with different strategies of how to reach those goals and what audiences to talk to, what kind of communications will work for which audience, that sort of thing. Um, for a large agency like ours and for some of our larger global clients, it's, you know, you know what, what channels are we going to talk to for North America, South America, Asia Pacific, um, Europe, um, Eastern Europe, Middle East, and so like coordinating different messages and marketing campaigns for the entire globe, getting everything translated, getting everything reviewed and checked, all this other stuff. Um, and so I, I coordinated all the marketing stuff for North America, South America, Canada. I think that was it. So basically, like the Western Hemisphere for um, a hotel client, IHG. So all of their, a lot of their marketing stuff, some of it went through me. Well, I went through a lot of other people, but some of them went through me. Um, so I did that for a few years. And um, from there, I went to uh, SunTrust. And so all, all of my experience to date has really been heavily in like digital marketing. So like email marketing, website design, um, building websites, building email. Not only like the emails that you may get from like a bank, but like the the infrastructure used to send those emails. I've built a lot of that as well. Um, and so I was at SunTrust for a few years. Again, I kind of built, you know, the systems that they use to send marketing emails for certain types of products because it was, um, 
the issue when you run into financial product marketing is that you have a lot of different products and a lot of different audiences. Um, and so you end up having to be very specific about the type of product you can talk to a single audience about. And so a way to, so basically it means you have a lot of segments for each marketing piece. And so trying to make that work into which you can, you know, be very efficient in how you're marketing to those segments because you would, would end up happening is you end up spending a lot of time um, working on each individual piece for each individual segment, but there's efficiencies to be gained if you can kind of automate some of that. And so that's what my job and my experience has been is automating a lot of that work. Um, and so that's why I did for SunTrust. I built like a, an automated email system and a, an email system so that they could talk to these different groups of people, but not have to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in like marketing all this individual stuff, if that makes sense. It's, esoteric but <laughs> um and so you know so where i am now i work for a company called CoreServe, CoreServe solutions we also do financial product marketing for banks um all across the country um you know i manage all of the the product marketing um that we have for the company and i work you know with all these banks and kind of do everything from like working through the campaigns that they do um, for, to market these products to people. I also um, do video creation. So like any sort of um, product training videos that you may see posted online or that you may have seen working through a job. Like I make videos, like infographic videos, screenshot videos that you would see on YouTube, of like how to do stuff, that sort of thing. Um, I design letters, I design signs, I design like graphic design stuff. Um, but most of my work is video work, and most of my work is like working in databases and pulling data files. I'm, I've set up email systems for them. I just kind of do all of it. So I am the only marketing person right now for my company, and so um, yeah, so it's it's a lot of work, but I enjoy it. So um, and that kind of relates is kind of connected to what I like to do as a hobby. So like. Um, I like to do a lot of things. I like to um, work out. We have a, you know, I like to lift weights and exercise. I do that before I go to work in the mornings. And then um, I also like to work on my computer and do like um, like three D modeling and stuff. I've kind of over the last year or so, I've really been working at that and kind of making like different um, scenes and stuff like that. If you've seen, I don't know, something you'd see like in a movie or something. It's just for some reason it's just the the imagery of that is just really appealing to me and so i got started on that because i had to um take like a 2d logo from a job for one of my clients and figure out a way to turn it into a 3d you know representation of that logo and put it into an animation um and so i had figured that out and i was like well what else can you do with this just because it seemed kind of interesting and so then you could figure out how to like you know take this water bottle and like turn it into you know you could take a picture of this and like overlay it and then like actually turn this into a 3d object within the computer that you could then animate or put into a scene and then all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I do that. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of my time though is spent, you know, just if I'm not working, I'm generally doing something for my kids. Um, doing something to help Benson with his stuff. So, but yeah. If there if there is time for hobbies, that's kind of what I try to do. So. <laughs>
my conversion story. Um, <laughs> so when I was, when I finished high school and before I went to the Navy, I was dating a girl that was a member of the church. Um, and so I was hanging out, you know, we, we dated, I was at her house. I was always talking to her family, her brother, her parents, and we were just, you know, it, it was so interesting to me. Their family dynamic was so interesting to me because they were very close knit, like what I recognize now as a gospel centered family. Right. Um, I didn't have that in my home. <laughs> like we were, we were religious, like, but you know, we weren't like church every day kind of people or church every Sunday kind of people. It was like just, you know, we went on Easter. I think that was about it. Um, and so that was my first introduction to the church was, um, you know, dating her. And then, um, you know, I left for the Navy. We kind of grew apart. We tried, I tried, we tried to like have a relationship while I was in the Navy, but it just, you know, it didn't work out. Um, and then I met Megan in school, and so I was kind of already familiar. I mean, when she said she was a you know member of the LDS Church, I was familiar with what that meant. I didn't fully understand. Like I had an idea, but I wasn't fully understanding right. And so you know, I grew up as a Baptist, um, Southern Baptist, right? <laughs> and so um, you know, as we got more serious, this is probably a few months, you know. A few months after we started dating, like, I could tell, like, this was different. This relationship was different. Like, just my feelings for her, her feelings towards me, I was like, there's something here, and more so than the other person I've dated. And so, but I need to understand this whole part of her, like, you know, her spiritual side. I need to understand that better, <laughs> so that I can understand her better, right? And so I remember... um you know, telling her, like, I, I was like, I want to understand, you know, more about the church, but I'm not going to try and convert you. You don't try to convert me. Like, I just, I'm going to learn about it, but I don't want, you know, this to be like something we're actively trying to do to each other. I just want us to like, make sure, you know, just continue what we're doing to get to, getting to know each other better. And so... I started reading, I would just, I was seeing the books that she had laying around her apartment. Um, so she had like our search for happiness. She had Jesus Christ. She had obviously the Book of Mormon. She had the Enzyme. She had all these sorts of things. And so um, the first book I read was Our Search for Happiness. I ended up getting a copy of it. Um, so I read that. I read um, what? I read Mormonism for Dummies. <laughs> It was actually really good. Like, <laughs> if whoever wrote that book finds out that someone read Mormonism for dummies and ended up joining the church. <laughs> it was written by a BYU professor. I don't remember his name. It was actually, like, pretty on on point. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I read that. I read Our Search for Happiness. I started reading the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah, she had no idea. The missionaries had no idea. Nobody had any idea. Um, and so in April, we had just finished watching Conference. Um, my first chance, of, or first time watching Conference was in April 2007. It was April 1st, April Fool's Day. <laughs> and so we were on the way back home from her parents' house. And, 
you know, I, so, you know, we were back, going back to her apartment. I was going to get my stuff and go back home. And, you know, as I was getting ready to leave, I told her for the first time on April Fool's Day 2007 that I loved her and that I wanted to be baptized. And she thought I was joking because it was April Fool's Day. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm being serious. <laughs> and she was kind of like floored a little bit because she was like, what are you talking about? And I just explained everything I just explained to you is that like, you know, I've been reading, you know, I, a couple of days before that, um, you know, I had read in Moroni, I said, like, you know, pray about it. If you really have a sincere, you want to know, you need to pray about it. And so that's what I did. Um, you know, and I remember having this feeling of like this, just this, you know, it's, I remember this feeling starting at the top of my head, going all the way through my body, through my toes. When I prayed and I was, you know, sitting there kneeling on the ground and just just wave of something coming through me when I asked, like, is this the right church? Like, is this true? Like, I had this feeling the entire time, like, yeah, this just makes sense, but I hadn't asked if it was true. And so I prayed, you know, and asked sincerely, like, is this true? I need to know. And like, this, this feeling goes all the way through my body. And I was like, all right, it's true. Um... And, and that's kind of been something that sustained me through all of the, the challenges of life, right? Is that, you know, I know that the gospel is true. And I know the Heavenly Father knows that I know that the gospel is true. Because, like, it was such a, an intense, like, confirmation of, like, everything that I've been reading. Not only does it make sense, like, intellectually, reasonably, spiritually but just everything you know and then all the other things that we've seen through our life like right of like um you know like i mentioned like my the 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 time where like you know my grandfather just talked to my dad about what i needed to do because you know had i gone to college at the time instead of going into the military i would have been sent to iraq because i was you know planning to go through army rtc at georgia state I would have finished in 2007. I would have been sent to Iraq. I never would have met Megan. Um, you know, and so, like, I, all of that kind of led me to that point. You know what I mean? So, like, all of the decisions, the decision for me to get out the, out the Navy when I did, the decision for me to go say, hey, rowing looks fun. I wouldn't have met Megan because the school has like 50,000 people to go to it, right? Like, I would not have ever met Megan. We didn't take any of the same courses together. Um, but I met her and, you know, decided to find out more about the church, you know, just because of just seeing kind of the person that she was and all that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, like it was, you know, that was kind of the big thing for me was that, you know, I knew that I had to find out on my own because, like, everything I've kind of done in my life has, like, you know, Megan says I'm very, I can be very stubborn because I got to find it out for myself, right? Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, like, I had to, I had to find out on my own and I didn't want it to jeopardize the relationship that we had together, you know, that we were building together. And so I knew that, like, I was going to have to figure this out on my own if this was something that, you know, that it was root, if it was true and everything to me. Um, and, and then once I knew it was real, once I knew that it was, that it was true, that it was the right thing to do, it was the right, that it was the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like, it was more than, 
more than just like, you know, what you hear, what you hear people say, oh, I'm just going to go to church. Because that's how I grew up, Brian. It's like, oh, I'm going to church. Church was more of a social thing. It wasn't like a, I mean, yes, you know, we say we believe in Christ, but it wasn't like a, you didn't center your entire life around church and around your 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 religious beliefs, right? That's like not how I grew up. Um, you know, but when I, when I remember praying that night, I, I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is going to be another situation in which everything changes. Um, kind of like the military, right? Like, it was, or not going to college, it was going to be a situation in which everything changes. And again, that was preparing me. Because, like, I had to sit there and tell my parents at that point, I'm not going to go to school. That's exactly what they wanted me to do. I then had to tell my parents, who I was living with again, who we were still kind of, you know, button heads, that I'm going to join the LDS church. Like, I, I told them, like, I'm going to be baptized. And they lost their minds. <laughs> At that point, my grandfather had passed away. I didn't have any any support from anybody. <laughs> um, and so, you know, growing up as a, you know, even though my my family wasn't really very devout in, like, their church, still being Southern Baptist, Mormons are the devil, right? <laughs> like, Mormons are not, you know, not okay. Um, and so it was, you know, from that point, you know, I, I told my family, I was like, I'm, I'm going to join the church or join, you know, I'm going to be baptized into the Mormon church. And, um, within a week they kicked me out. Um, and it, it was years before I even spoke to any of them again. Um, and, you know, but I mean, it was hard because, like, I, you know, I, I enjoyed having, you know, speaking to my family. But, like, I knew that, you know, that everything that I had gone through to that point had kind of prepared me for that eventuality, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, it was it was quite a few years before we ever got, you know, we were on speaking terms again. And, that, and that's kind of where, like, when I was saying earlier that like my dad stepped, came up and said, okay, don't worry about the money. Here's a boatload of money so you can adopt your child. Like that wasn't too long after that whole situation of me joining the church and them like having complete fall apart of like any sort of relations <laughs> where he was like, I'm going to give you all this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so that's why it was such a big deal to us where we were just like, really? Like, <laughs> okay, like, it's amazing, you know what I mean? Um, and that's what I mean, like, I really feel like him and my stepmom, like, felt the spirit somehow to get them to do that, because before and after that, things were just, you know, we weren't speaking a whole lot to each other, and then after that, like, we weren't speaking a whole lot to each other, because we always had, like, these times of, like, talking to each other and not, and a lot of it was related to the church, and a lot of it was related to religion and all sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, so I was, um, let's see, so I told Megan, I told her that in April, in April, um, let's see, that next, that was Sunday night. I met with the missionaries Tuesday, and they're like, you know, a couple of days later, and I pretty much taught them the first few discussions based on my understanding of everything. They're like, we don't have to teach you any of these, any of this. And so I was, you know, basically signed up to be baptized. Like I, my baptized, my baptism was scheduled for like as soon as they could get it done. Um, 
you know, and so I was, you know, baptized by the end of the month. Um, I think for me, like, like this kind of goes from, you know, that instance more towards the longer testimony side of things. But for me, um, you know, the gospel and like the, the, the points of the gospel have always made sense to me, right? Like the, the restoration and, you know, Christ and the commandments he's given us, the restoration, the priesthood, that has always just made sense and always just clicked for me. And I've always just felt that it's true. What has taken longer for me is to overcome, I guess, my natural tendencies of skepticism, of, um, like, I worry a lot about things, especially, like, my kids and my kids' health and just all this other stuff, right? And so, like, just having that, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people worry about things or have fear about stuff like that or about that sort of thing. So, like, for me, you know, the harder thing has been able to just feel the grace of Christ and feel, like, the comfort that the Savior provides. And I feel like that that's the journey that I'm continuously having to, like, realign myself to is, like, you know, allow allow Christ in your life so that you can, you know, take advantage of the testimony and take advantage of the grace that he provides you, right? And so that's that's kind of always the the hard part, I feel like, is, you know. Not I mean the commitment, uh, the initial commitment was hard, right? Because of all the stuff with my family and everything else, but like continually realigning yourself with the things that you need to do so that you can feel the grace and happiness and that sort of stuff is, you know, it's not easy, but it's, you know, it does take a lot of effort. So I feel like that's kind of where where we are now. So I mean everyone has to do that. So, you know. <laughs> I think the the biggest life experience is just my children, like I said, like all of the 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 different things that have kind of come together um for all of us for all of our kids to come to us. Um and just things that have happened since then, you know. Um like I said, Maddie's adoption, all how everything worked out there. Um how like my job and all that stuff worked out when Olive was born. And then, you know, just the things that were, you know, finding the right doctors and finding the the right tests and all the stuff that we needed to find and the right people we needed to be in touch with and all this other stuff for Benson and like his care and all this other stuff. So, um, you know, we've definitely seen uh, the hand of the Lord and all of that. So, I mean, I think about it a lot, right? Like I, you know, we have a lot of yard to mow every week, and that's where I do a lot of my thinking. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm kind of not, too. Like, I actually do a lot of thinking when I'm, like, doing hard work um, or when I'm cooking or something like that. And, like, um, you know, the gospel says that we're not going give, to be given more than we can bear, right? Um we're all put here for a reason and we're all given, you know, capabilities to, to hold different loads. Right. And not to say that my load is any different. Our load is any different than someone else's. I mean, there are people that I know, good friends that I know that like, I could not handle what they have to go through. And they probably, they may not be handling what I have to go through, but like, this is something that I was telling Megan is that I feel like for both of us, we, we've always been very empathetic people. And so we've always felt 
um, try to feel and do our best to feel a lot of love for other people. And I feel like that always comes through with our kids, right? And so, like, I mean, yeah, there, there is a lot with Vincent, right? There's a lot with all of our kids. I mean, all of our kids are have their own special needs in one way or the other. Benson is just the most invisible, right? But, like, our girls, they need a lot of attention, and there's some health issues for some of them, too, right? It's just, you know, and and honestly, for, like, you know, e- 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 either one of them would be considered a lot, I'm sorry, <laughs> would be considered a lot by themselves. But, you know, we, it's just kind of, you know, I don't want to say it is what it is, but like that's you know that's what Heavenly Father has given us. We were given these children for a reason because like He knew that we could handle it, right? Um, it's, it takes you know it, it's taken me a lot of time and effort to like come to that realization because you know for a long time I would be like why <laughs> why <laughs> do we need to go through all this like why and there's days where I feel that way like when I'm you know. You know, um, I'll tell you this. The other day when you and I were sitting outside at the slip and slide thing and you were like, yeah, my son and I, we're going to go hiking. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I was like thinking to myself, I was like, man, I would love to be able to do that. And I know I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, Cooper, I see the same thing with his son. And like, you know, he... He gets to see his boy grow up and walk and run and get, grow old. You get to have kids, grandkids. I know I'm not going to see that. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that with my son. And for the longest time, it was really hard because that was the one relationship I wanted because I didn't have that in a lot of ways with my father told you I was like we were always kind of going like this or I was living with my mom at the time and that was the one relationship like I knowing that I wanted kids that was the one relationship that I wanted to have as a father was with have that with my son and you know I know I know I'm not going to get to have that exactly that that with my son but you know the one, the one thing I do get to have that I get to, I get to have every day <laughs> is that when things are hard, when I'm really stressed with life or when Benson is having a lot of, um, when Benson is having, you know, a lot of health issues or going to the hospital or, you know, Maddie's having some stuff that, you know, with her ADHD work is crazy, whatever, right? I know that I can go to my son and pick him up and he'll look at me with just unadulterated, pure love and just joy, like the joy that he has on his face. It's like 100% of his being is happy to see you right then and there. And I don't, I don't know many people who probably get to see that from their kids all the time. I get to see that every day. 
And that's one of our favorite things, Megan. That's one of our things, our favorite things, is to go into his room in the morning when he's waking up. He turns over and he looks up at you and he is just so happy to see you. (laughs) It's like, I love you. You're here. It's the best day ever. (laughs) And he just hugs you and he snuggles with you and he just loves on you. And it's so uplifting and fulfilling and just calms your soul so much regardless of whatever else is happening he is like just i don't even know how to describe it just like almost like when when i'm holding him it's like everything else just goes away and like it's just everything in that moment just holding that boy and he's just loving on you and there's just nothing Nothing wrong with the world right, right then and there. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to describe. Um, but I know that there have been many occasions where, you know, hard things, like when my father passed and all the issues with grief and things that didn't get said that should have been said and all this other stuff. But I get to see my son. And I'm not going to have the same relationship with him that most fathers have. I am going to get to be able to on the daily, like, kind of just, I don't know. It's its like I'm giving up the hard stuff I need to give up just to be able to hang on to him and just to love on him. And he, he provides that to me for some reason, um, somehow. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, it's really hard to describe, I feel like, but it's like he, you know, and kind of like teleports me to like a different area where I'm just like, hey, everything's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just a special experience, I guess. So. Calhoun Lord. Um, I've always liked smaller words, like country. You know, when we lived in Connecticut, that was probably my favorite word. It was, out, it was a word, it's a very rural area. Um, and, I, and I feel like we get kind of that here, is that you have a closer, smaller group of people been together for a while closer knit um you know and it's with the pandemic it's taken some time to kind of work our way in and like you know get to know people um but I, I see a lot of that in kind of where we are now um and so I'm excited for like just the people that we know and you know just the opportunities we had to like get to know people and I'm excited to see kind of how it grows I mean there's a lot of people moving in lately so hopefully that'll continue so <laughs> Don't ever give up. I mean, there's, you know, there's always going to be something, right? Kind of like what you were saying, like with, you know, health issues or work, professional, right? There's always going to be something. But, I mean, we're here for a limited period of time. (laughs) I work in marketing, right? One of the best slogans you can have is limited time only. And we all have a limited time only expiration date. Um, we don't know when that is, but it's limited. <laughs> and so just make it, you know, make sure what you're doing is worth it. Make sure you're using your time the best you can for the people that you're with. So. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the personal history and stories presented today. And most of all, I hope it has brought you closer to another member of our ward.